today we are diving into the book of James and looking at that. So that is in the New Testament. So if you have a, a physical Bible, we'll turn the lights up a little bit. You can look to that. It's way to the right. Otherwise, everything's on version, and you can follow along with notes there. I was talking to a, a guy at Starbucks a few weeks back, and uh, somehow the conversation got turned toward church. And, and I said, well, what do you think about church? And he just goes, Pfft. And then he just goes into this rant about church. I hadn't told him what I do yet, and then I decided not to after that. And just, <laughs> we just had a conversation, just candidly, about what he thought about church. And somewhere in the conversation, he kind of got to the place where he said, You know, I like Jesus. I like what I read about Jesus. I just, I struggle with the church. And I, and I said, I can understand that. I can understand that angst or that beef that might be there because I know that exists. And I know it probably exists in the culture it does, and it may even exist in your life, especially if you're new here. And I want to invite you to, to kind of journey with us for the next nine weeks. So we're going to, for the next nine weeks, going up to Easter, I actually mapped out about 14 different sermons. We're only doing nine um, in the book of James, because there's something about who writes this that really can make a difference in your life. And there's something about what he has to say that could really maybe bring some, some things to light for you. If you are a follower of Jesus like I am, there is definitely some things in here that are going to be up in your face. Um, it's going to be challenging at times. But see, I can understand the angst against the church sometimes. I can understand how people think, and in some ways people get to a place where they see people who profess faith, and they live certain ways, and then they kind of... They go, there's something, there's a disconnect here. What's interesting about that sometimes is those who kind of stand outside the church and they look at people inside the church and they go, see, you're broken. And, And I think here's the truth. Yes, we all are broken. And I think sometimes people outside the church hold people inside the church to such a standard beyond even what they would hold themselves to. That's why we talk so much about around here that we are about progress, not perfection. Because progress is something that strengthening by the love and truth of Christ, you can grow in. Perfection, you will never attain to that. Do you understand? That we talk a lot about this because progress can happen by the strengthening love and truth of Christ. But perfection will not happen this side of heaven. And so the church, sometimes we, we end up judging people. And then there's also people who stand outside the church and say, see, there's, there's something wrong. And, and the truth is, yes. And James comes along and, and he has some candid and some concise wording about what does it mean to be a person who understands the gospel of Jesus, who's rescued by that love of Christ. And how does that begin to influence and impact my living and how I live? See, James is not rich on you know deep theology and all that kind of stuff. You read the Apostle Paul, many of the books he wrote, most of the, the time it's like the first couple, two, three chapters, Romans is really long, uh, of all about theology. Here's what we believe in. Here's what we're about. James is going to say, okay, I'm taking for granted that you understand that. Here's how it impacts and influences how you live your life now. And that's what James is going to be. It's going to be a little bit in your face because James is kind of, Maybe trying to drive home a point of what we need in our culture today. And it's this. The world desperately needs Christ followers today whose actions match their convictions. 
And that's not a, a slant to say, again, this is not about perfection. Because you are not perfect, I am not perfect, none of us is, and we don't attain to that level. Christ did that, there was one person, one person alone. But if his love has rescued me and rescued you, then a rescuing love begins to reciprocate love. And it begins to influence and change how we then live. That is what James is getting at. Now, some people look at the book of James and they see a lot of list of rules, a lot of list of things that you're supposed to do. And there's, there's even arguments about, okay, did Paul say this? Did James say this? We'll get into that like week four. We'll get there. Um, and, and I think you'll find it fascinating. But I, I know there's a lot of people that look at the book of James and go, well, there's just more stuff. And you have to understand, James is not trying to create a new, uh, a new breed of legalist, okay? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I've been rescued by this love, and it's beginning to change how I live, and this is how it should influence and impact how you live. I don't know if you ever had a person in your life, there was, maybe you've had this person who, they have an issue with you, and a struggle with you, or, or something that they see in you, and they're like, hey, um, let's go to coffee, and they go to coffee, and then it's like an hour into coffee, they're like, hey, there's this thing, yeah, how's your coffee, Okay. And like they kind of beat around the bush and all that kind of stuff. They kind of insinuate things. and They want you to read between the lines, right? And then you have that other friend that's like, hey, we got an issue. Let's deal with it, right? How many of you have both kinds of friends? In a lot of ways, even though it may be a little hurtful at times, don't you appreciate the in-your-face friend? Because at least you know where they're coming from. And you're like, here's the deal, okay? That is James. So when you read through the book of James, as we make our way through it, you have to understand James is that kind of friend, okay? And he's kind of saying, hey, there's some things I have for you that I want you to see. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's writing this book for us to understand. So there's, there's two key vital things I want you to understand about the book of James. So today's kind of an introduction, and we're going to have a, a simple application from it. And then next week, we'll start diving into the different passages uh, that we're going to look at in this series. Make sense? First one is this. One of the vital reasons and keys to the book of James is this. He is direct in biblical application. The gospel is meant to change us, not just secure us a ticket home to heaven after our race of life is done. It's meant to impact us and to influence how we then and how we now live. This is about a renovation project that God is doing in the hearts of his people. I wrote this. The power of the gospel is that God's love transforms people. It doesn't merely inform people. This is about transformation. And when we understand the, the, the vastness and the beauty and the depth and the majesty of the gospel, that the life of Jesus and his life and his teachings and his death and his resurrection, that's the gospel, is for you because God is a God who is for you. And he's searching to know you and to connect with you. And he's made a way for that to be possible, not by your effort and not by you trying to earn it and not by you trying to discover it, by simply accepting it. That is the gospel. It's an open invitation to any and to all. He wants, James wants to expedite the process of renovation within the, the Christian's heart and life. I don't know if you've ever watched renovation shows. Anyone watched, like, you know, home, what is it, Home Garden Channel thing? Better HGTV. Yes. 
I think I've watched, actually, there's a couple of shows I've watched on there. The Treehouse Guy, that's amazing. Um, Okay, so, but these, these renovation projects, when you go into a home, here's what they don't do. They don't walk into a home and you see the before picture, and then they walk in with like a vase of flowers and they change one cabinet knob and they spray some air scent and go, hey, your new home, right? If you hired someone and that's what they did, you got ripped off, right? Because renovation involves demolishing, doesn't it? It involves transformation of things. It does not about flowers and fragrance and new doorknobs, okay? It's more than that, isn't it? We know that instinctively. And here's what you got to know about the book of James. This is about the renovation of the human heart, the human soul, and the life we now live as a follower of Jesus. That's what he's about. And so this isn't about just throwing little flower decorations up. This is about redecorating. This is about revigorating a new kind of living. And this is about renovation of the human life. Does that make sense? That life with God is about that. That's how the gospel infiltrates who we are and how we then live. And James is trying to drive this home to say, look, this is a big deal. The Apostle Paul kind of gets at this in Philippians where he says, look, the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to what? Completion. Meaning that our life in, in how we live, we've been rescued by this love of God and Jesus. And now we're on this renovation project of him making us new and, and calling us to be more and more who Jesus is calling us and has rescued us to become. And so this is about renovation. This is about not just being saved by faith, but the Bible, some theological dudes would call this sanctification, which is just a big $10 word that says this is about life change. This is about transformation. This is about moving the human heart and the human mind and the human soul to be something more and something better now that we've centered our life on the rescued love of Christ. We've allowed the gospel to infiltrate us, and we've accepted that. Now it's about life change. James is not trying to raise a new generation of legalists. And some people look at these words that we're going to look at, and they want to make them rules. And I'm here to tell you, if you do that, you are missing the very foundation of where James is writing from. If you miss that, you've missed everything. And I know way too many people in the church world, as a leader in the church now, who look at James and they love James, and they should. But they love it for a different reason. Because they love it for the practicality that he's going to give. And they start turning these into rules, and they start turning these into, see, this is the way I'm living better than you. And any time you get there, the love of Christ and the gospel is getting twisted somewhere. True? That's the reality. And so I want you to live in this foundation of the love of Christ. In fact, I want, I, I want you to get that so much, I'm going to come back to it at the end, because this is vital that we understand that. James is saying we are loved first and foremost by God through Christ. It is the bedrock of our faith. Now, the bedrock of that should now build a foundation that begins to infiltrate and influence how we then live. That's what he's radically saying. A rescued love is a reciprocating love now. It's meant to change us. It's meant to do something else. So <clears throat> that's a big deal about the book of James. You've got to understand that. Second one is this. It's about who 
writes it. And it's about how they write and what they say. There's two possibilities for the authorship of the book of James. One is James, the son of Zebedee, the disciple of Jesus. James and John were kind of the brothers. And kind of seen as, okay, maybe that's the guy that wrote it. He hung around Jesus. The problem with that is the dating of this book around 49, 50 AD doesn't make that possible. So the other possible and improbable authorship of this book inspired by the Holy Spirit is James, who happens to have a certain relationship and connection to Jesus. He's Jesus's brother. Now, that should raise immediate red flags or yellow flags in your life. How many of you have siblings? How many of your siblings have ever claimed to be the Messiah? How many of you would recognize my brother and my sister is way not the Messiah? Okay. See, if you're sitting here and you're skeptical about this idea of faith, and if you're skeptical about this Jesus character, I want to invite you to lean in. Because who writes this book may be one of the best indicators of reality of Christianity than anything else. We have a lot of historical evidence. We have a lot of things that we can hang our hat on and go, our faith is legit. But I'm telling you, who writes this book matters. Because James introduces himself in James chapter 1, verse 1. It's the only verse we're going to look at tonight. All right? Or today. It's today. Um, So it's the only verse we're going to look at this morning, okay? James chapter 1, verse 1. Can we read it? Here's what it says. James, a servant of God. Okay, that phrase has been used all throughout the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. We'll hit on that. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes, remember that's the people that are connected to the Jewish, uh, to Judaism, to the faith, okay? And they're connected to the 12 tribes that have been scattered. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. And then he launches in. This is big time application book, okay? James is saying, I hope you got the basic of the gospel. I hope you understand it's the foundation. The gospel is our life. It is our roots. It's what we cling to. Now let's go. And that's James, and he's going to launch into this. But James writes, and what's he say about himself? A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What you have to understand is he did not start there. In fact, if you begin looking back through the scriptures, you begin seeing some interesting things about James. James himself, just a few years before that. Can I just read you a few? This is uh, Matthew 13. I'll kind of read it for us. So Jesus is coming to his hometown. He begins teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. People were always amazed at what Jesus said. He spoke with power and authority. Where did this man come from? Where did he get all this kind of wisdom? People begin to ask. Where did he get this miraculous powers? They ask. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Don't we know him? Don't we have connections to him? Isn't his mother named Mary? And aren't his brothers James... Joseph, Simon, Judas. Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense to him. Don't we know his siblings? 
Don't we know his brother? So now we're beginning to get into the whole idea of the backdrop of this and the incarnation. I don't have time to unpack that. But Jesus is here. He's got family, right? And one of the first times we begin to see James, who's the author of this book, is we understand the angst that he probably has, and more than, more than definitely, doesn't just probably, but has, against his brother and things that are beginning to grow as Jesus begins to take on this ministry. See, Jesus had proclaimed himself as the healer of the sick, the forgiver of sins, the groom sent to love God's people back home. If your brother or your sister began saying that, wouldn't your eyebrows go up and be like, what? James is skeptical. So he didn't start as a servant. He started with a great deal of skepticism. Would Jesus' family support him? (laughs) No. Look at Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples weren't even able to eat. There was so much ministry and healing and teaching going on. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. They thought he had lost his mind. Jesus, you've gone off the deep end. We got to get you into like some lockdown counseling or something because like this is weird. Skepticism was growing within his family. And then maybe the most prominent passage you'll read about James in John chapter seven. After this, Jesus went around Galilee. Uh, he did not want to go into Judea because people were the, the Pharisees, the teachers and the leaders of the, the church in that day and age and that in the synagogue, they were looking for ways to kind of hunt him down looking for ways to take his life. But when the Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, here's verse 3, John chapter 7. Jesus' brothers said to him, Hey, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that the disciples that you have fallen, you may see your works. No one wants to become a public figure. No one wants to become famous in hiding or in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. This is where James is. A skeptic. Looking at the life and the teaching and the ministry of Jesus from the outside looking in going, you're whacked. This, this is not from God. That's where he is entrenched and where he begins to see. But something happened to James to go on a journey from skepticism to a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. What happened to James? Did he start drinking red Kool-Aid? You know, did he fall and hit his head? Did he just decide that the people that were beginning to have this little bit of inkling, he was the man, you know, it's better to you know, beat him. You know, better to join him than to, to try to beat him. Did, 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 what happened to James? Something had to have happened significantly for him to go on a journey from skeptic to servant. Do you understand this tension that had to have been there? What happened to him? Well, I think Paul gives us maybe the biggest clue. In fact, in, Paul says in Galatians 2.9 that James became the pillar of the Jerusalem church. So to go from skeptic to the pillar of the first century church, something had to have happened, right? Here's what Paul said. 
First Corinthians 15. I have passed on to you what is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scripture. And then he appeared uh, to Cephas and then to the Twelve. And after that, he appeared to more 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still living. You can go talk to them. Verse 7. Then he appeared to who? To who? To James. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, gets up, gets out of a grave. A grave is a marker of the end, isn't it? A tomb. It's the marker of the end, the end of all things. There is nothing after that. And then Jesus gets back up. And he visits his brother. And James, seeing the resurrected Christ, does a 180. Why? Because if a dead guy gets back up and comes, has a conversation with you, you listen. You would too. And I would too. And here's the benefit of the Christian faith. He did. He got back up and he visited James. And James in that moment went from seeing Jesus as a brother who was kind of whacked to seeing Jesus as the creator of all things and the lover of his soul and the giver of life. And James is radically changed. So much so that everything about his life begins to all be altered and to be changed. He sees things differently now. He lives differently now. So much so that he becomes known as the pillar of the first century church in the city of Jerusalem. That people are coming to James, the former skeptic, to say, teach me about Jesus. I want to know about this resurrected man. Because that is so far out of the normal. And friends, I think sometimes we forget the, the beauty and the wonder of that. And for James, it changed everything for him. You have to see that. That this single encounter with the resurrected Christ realtered his life forever. And he realized, I'm loved by the creator of the universe. And he sought me out with all my doubts, with all my ridicule, with all my uh, disappointment, with all my arm's length keeping him away. He still stepped forward to me. And it changed James forever. So much so that James adopts a new identity. He begins saying, I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, servant of God is a phrase that you'd read often in the Old Testament. Moses said that about himself. Daniel said that. And just, uh, people said that about them. But the term servant of the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the earliest times we read that in history. And it comes from the brother of Jesus. He didn't drink the Kool-Aid. He met the man, the resurrected Savior of the world. And he became rescued. 
And a rescued love begins to reciprocate love. And it changed him. And it began to alter how he saw everything and how he began to live and how he went forward in life. See, if you only get one sentence to describe yourself, because James doesn't give us a long flowery introduction to himself. Basically, he introduces himself and says, Greetings! Off he goes into the rest of the book. You know, Paul sometimes writes a little bit more. Peter writes a little bit more. James, one sentence. If you only have one sentence to describe who you are and your identity, then you don't say, hey, I'm, I'm Jack Scholl and, and I like brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tarts. I do. Um, but I wouldn't choose that sentence as I introduce myself, right? It seems frivolous and, and light and meaningless. So James doesn't give a lot of flowery words to who he is. He, he picks the one sentence that says, this is who I am. I'm James. I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Greetings. Because his life was forever changed, forever altered in a way. Here's what he understood. Here's kind of the, the take home for us today. Your identity will determine your activity. Your identity will determine your activity. And at the end of the day, how you discover and how you lay hold of your identity is centered on one of two things. Your identity is either based in a role that you play or a relationship you have. Your identity in 2015 will be based on either a role you play or a relationship you have. And James, in that moment, chose to say, my identity is based on the relationship I have with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Period. My identity is not in a church planner. My identity is not in a pastor. My identity is not based on the role I play at work. My identity is not placed on the role I play in my home. My identity is based on the relationship with Christ that I have. And when you get that, then life becomes about transformation. Because your identity will determine the activity that plays out in your life. It just does. It's bedrock. It's foundation. It influences everything and anything that you think about and how you live and how you act and how you react. The Lord Jesus Christ. Christ means the anointed one. The one who was sent to make it all right and to bring us home to God. He's the anointed one. He's to say, and this isn't about I'm a servant, which seems like a lowly term. But you counter that with this majestic term that he gives Christ. You're, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the Lord. See, back in Roman time, people would say Caesar is Lord, right? That's how they would greet each other. Persecution broke out against the Christians, not because they said Jesus is Lord, but because they said only Jesus is Lord. That's why persecution brought out and broke out against them. Because they refused to say anybody else was. Just Jesus is Lord. Only Him. He's the Christ. 
He's the sent one. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's the one in charge. He's the creator. He's the maker of all heavens and earth. He's it. And my identity is founded in him. That's an amazing thing. And James goes on this journey from skeptic. Hey, Jesus, why don't you go to that festival? And like, you want to be famous and everything. Why don't you go tell people about it? You don't do that in secret. (laughs) I watched my brother die. And then he got back up and he had tea with me. What? And James is forever changed. And so now his identity is changed. I'm no longer the mocker. I'm no longer the scoffer. I'm the servant. I'm the servant of the Lord Most High. Greetings. And then he begins to launch into what this begins to mean to him. It's like James is saying this life of submission to Christ. He's big, I'm little. That's okay with me. That's okay with me. It's not about me anymore. So James has this radical change. See, when you're loved and you have a rescued love, it begins to be this reciprocating love. It begins to change and influence and impact how you live. See, this series is called Love Does because love has to have an action to it. Love has to to do something. It's not just a a feeling or a sense. It's action-oriented. And that's what James is going to drive home. That as you live as a rescued one, as you live in the rescued love of God, this love that has no condition, no boundary, there's no greater, nothing stronger, nothing like the love of Jesus. There's nothing like it. And when you begin to understand that, it begins to change how you see life and how you interact with life and how you interact with people, how you react to people and how you invest in life and what you say yes to and what you say no to and how you begin to perceive everything around you. It has to change you. See, sometimes people look at the book of James. I'm going to go back to where we started. And they look at the book of James and they begin laying out all these new rules. And I'm telling you, if you do that, you will get sideways. This is not about raising a new generation of legalists. This is about saying, this is the love of God that forever altered me because he got back up and he picked me. And when I live in that, my identity determines my activity. It begins to change how I perceive life and how I move forward. Our transformation is not the foundation of the Christian faith. The love of God is the foundation of the Christian faith. It's not about your transformation first and foremost. It's about the gospel of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, period. That's the gospel. And then his invitation to say, do you want to have life with God? then walk with me, believe in me, follow me. That's the basis of the Christian faith. Christianity needs to be more anchored to its root and less concerned about the fruit. The root is Christ, Christ alone. The fruit will come when you're anchored and the roots are deep in that. And I know a lot of people in the Christian faith who begin to look at people 
and they look at choices they make and they look at decisions they make and say, well, see, 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 see. You can get sideways real fast if that's your first concern. Doesn't mean it shouldn't be a concern. Doesn't mean we shouldn't look at fruit. But if that's the first thing, do you want to be judged like that? I don't. I've done it. I don't want to do it anymore. It's tiring. It's exhausting. It's not very life-giving. But if we live rooted to the gospel of Christ, see, this isn't about my ongoing performance for Christ. This is about his performance. In his life, in his death, and his resurrection, he finished it. He's the one that said, it is finished. Done. It's about honoring him, celebrating him. Here's the truth. We are all lost without the love of Christ. Period. You don't throw instructions to a drowning man. Hey, kick harder. Swim faster. You got it. I believe in you. What do you throw? A life preserver. That was you. That was me. Jesus didn't shout, hey, kick harder. Swim faster. Pedal harder. He said, here I am. Believe in me. All right, now let's go. That's the gospel. And that is what James is based in, founded in. That's the bedrock of where he's going. And you have to understand that. Because then the actions he's calling us to are all about a reciprocating love. It's all about a love that's rooted in the gospel of Jesus. And now as it's rooted there, it begins to be influenced and impacted by the love that's already given. And it begins to change how we then live. Make sense? That is so key to keep in mind as we go through this book. Jesus is the rescuer. That's why James discovered and anchored himself to him. I am the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to challenge you on some things of where we're going. It's the love of Christ is the beginning of renovation of the human soul. Love does. So that's what we're going to look at. These next little book, a little uh, bit of history on James, just some stuff I was reading this week that you might find encouraging. Um, some historians, Josephus and uh, Usibus was uh, one that wrote some. Josephus, kind of a Jewish historian, wrote about James. And one of the church leaders talked about uh, one simple image about James. James knew how to pray. He knew how to pray. Um, info kind of surrounding uh, the person of James. They said James prayed on behalf of the people that his knees became so hard they were like camel's knees. I rode a camel two weeks ago. It's crazy. Camel has to kneel down, get back up. Big old beefy guy on him. He was... Knees were hard. James prayed a lot for his people. One early scholar recounts his death. That the Pharisees came to James and said, James, you're the brother of Jesus. This whole Jesus movement thing is kind of getting out of hand. Would you just kind of, would you just kind of, you know, tell people who Jesus really was? You knew him. And they kind of put him up on the temple mount and they gathered people around him. They were discouraged in what James said. Because James, as a brother of Jesus, probably had some 
could have had things. They knew him from this past. This guy was a skeptic. But I guess they had missed that somewhere in here he met the resurrected Christ and he went from skeptic to servant. And it changed him. And James began to say, proclaiming that Jesus sits in heaven at the right hand of the great power and he will come again on the clouds. And it threw the Pharisees so much that they threw him down off the temple mount. And the fall didn't kill him. And he got back up on his knees and he began praying for the people around him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Haven't we heard that phrase before? His brother Jesus said it on the cross. Until his dying breath, James said, Jesus is the Messiah. If you want to have life with God, if you want to know forgiveness, if you want to know hope, you got to look to him. And they picked up stones and they stoned him and killed him. But to his dying breath, that's what he said. Listen, there's a lot of people that would die for their brother, wouldn't they? A lot of people that would die for their brother. I don't know anybody that would die for a lie. Do you? Something happened to James to go from skeptic to servant. And friends, that's what we get to discover the next few weeks is to say, okay, this guy discovered that. He latched onto that to his dying breath. He lived it. And what he has to say about how this love of God and how it becomes a bedrock foundation of your life and how it begins to influence and impact your life matters. So that's the journey we get to go on the next few weeks. I'm going to kind of invite you to be a part of that, especially if you're kind of new back to church and and you've got some doubts and you've got some skepticism in you. That's awesome. I'm glad that you're here because you don't have to be. But I promise you, if you just lean in, there may be an opportunity for you to journey from skeptic to a saved, rescued servant and have your life forever changed. And so we're going to continue on in service. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're going to take a moment uh, to observe communion. We do this every week, and we have communion tables here in the middle uh, aisle and up front. And uh, you are welcome to participate in that as a follower of Christ. And we lean into that today, maybe specifically because of James. And we say, Jesus, man, you really are the Lord Jesus Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're, you're the Christ. You're everything. And as you take communion today, I want to invite you to kind of lean into that and say, God, you're, you're my rescuer. You're not just the rescuer of the world. You're my rescuer. Thank you. And to lean into that. And as we worship here uh, in a couple of songs, and Brian's got a couple uh, parting words for us. We're going to have a, a great time. We've got some EGs afterwards. It's, we're going to have a great next few moments. Just lean into the truth that Jesus loves you, friend. And his love rescued you so that your love can begin to reciprocate back to him. And so, Father, I pray as we go on this journey through James that uh, you would help us discover. I know James has got some challenges. He's got some concise things that are powerful and potent. They're going to jar some of us. At times we may feel like he's kind of up in our grill. But he's doing that out of love. 
He's doing that because he wants something more. Something better. So would you accompany us on this journey? Would you allow us in these next few moments as we worship you to be reinvigorated by the love of a resurrected Savior? That is the anchor of our faith. We thank you for that. We love you. We love you.